I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Que pasa? It's a chilly Tuesday in the Bay Area, December 12th, 2017, and a perfect day to do the Wong Takes. So, why don't we get to it? First off, we're going to go talk about Russia. Doping and the Olympics, not a new trend in the world of sport, but I think in the Olympic stage, you've never really seen anything of this magnitude. So, well, what happened? During the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics, at least 15 Russian medal winners participated in a state-backed doping program. This wasn't just like some people going off to the side just because they wanted to take drugs. This is like an actual like Russia gov- Russian government, uh, Russian Olympic Committee-backed system. And this was proven by the fact that the director of Russia's anti-doping laboratory at the time of the 2014 Winter Olympics, Grigory Rodchenkov, said he, quote, developed a three-drug cocktail of banned substances that he mixed with liquor and provided to dozens of Russian athletes, end quote. So based on this knowledge, I don't know if the Russian athletes were complicit in this scheme. I think at least a a few of them had to know about it, but I don't really know all the details about that. And then what would happen, this is like the weirdest part almost, if the cocktail wasn't enough, is at night, uh, Russian officials would replace bottles that had urine with PEDs with clean one that they got from those athletes months beforehand. So they would get urine samples from the, clean urine samples from the athletes, and then in the middle of the night, they would replace the urine samples with uh, with the clean samples. And uh, I think this is a report from the New York Times or NPR or something. It said, quote, for hours each night, they worked in a shadow laboratory lit by a single lamp passing bottles of urine through a hand-sized hole in the wall to be ready for testing the next day, end quote. It's kind of a shady scheme. It's just everything. But what happened because of that was Russia's Olympic team was barred from the 2018 Winter Olympics on Wednesday, the Winter Olympics coming up in February, and their flag and anthem will not make appearances. So this is a pretty substantial penalty for a very prideful country, especially after fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, and then Putin and everything is about restoring national pride. This is a big hit. There are a few caveats to this ban. Uh, Athletes with no doping history will be allowed to compete under a neutral flag and be called Olympic athletes from Russia. And if Russia obeys the ban, their flag could appear during the closing ceremony as a kind of saying, like, okay, good good job following the rules. You guys, here's here's your flag. Uh, I think the ban, personally, it's it's a pretty substantial ban, but I think it's fair because when you have something like the Olympics, that's that's the pinnacle of sport. And sport is the ultimate meritocracy. I mean, you want to preserve its integrity, not only for the events that are occurring, but for future events, because you don't want to set a precedent of being like, okay, we're going to let this slide. So it, it's, I think the ban is good, to especially to a humongous country like Russia, a populous and territorial-wise country, to say, even in your own gym, you can't do this kind of unfair stuff. And I also think it's good that you don't punish athletes who have no history because not only are they competing for the country, but they're competing for themselves. Now, a lot of uh, the, some of the Russian athletes are saying, look, I'm not going to compete unless it's under the Russian flag. I, I love my country. And I respect that. But I think to the athletes that want to compete for themselves, who kind of see this as like the top of the world, uh, this, this is something that they want to do. And also, it's not like your country's totally gone. They're called Olympic athletes from Russia, so you can still say Mother Russia and everything. It's it's just not you're gonna you're not gonna get that brand there, and also like I said earlier, this is gonna set the precedent for widespread doping and tell the world that the Olympic Committee is not gonna back down. Like this is a pretty heinous thing, but they're setting the precedent for 
not only this, but the smaller stuff. If this is what the big punishment is, small punishment is still something substantial that you will see in the future. And also, uh, recently, fortunately, Russian President Vladimir Putin said he will allow individual athletes to participate in the games. He Earlier in the week, he had threatened to boycott the Olympics totally, but now he's saying, okay, uh, athletes who are allowed to compete, you can compete, that's fine. And I appreciate that he understands the work those athletes put in, um, even though some athletes uh, did, did say that they don't want to compete under neutral flag, it's still good that the ones who do uh, are able to do so. Now, there's some other Olympic news actually coming out. This is not going to be just about Russia. Uh, but some countries, including the U.S., are debating whether or not to send athletes due to tensions in North Korea, of course, with the whole uh, nuclear program and everything. And uh, most recently, the, there's been new launches and everything, and the Olympics are going to be in South Korea. I think it's less than 100 miles from the North Korean border in Pyeongchang. So it, it could be a potentially dangerous situation, but that's really disappointing because besides the obvious safety threat of dropping a nuclear bomb on a place where there's going to be a ton of people and athletes, it politicizes the games, which is something you really don't want to see with an event like the Olympics and with a, a category of, of activity like sport. Because international conflict should not be a part of sport. And this has been a, a precedent that's been set for years and years. In fact, there's this thing called the Olympic Truce that was developed in ancient Greece Whereas they said, okay, uh, seven days before the games, during the games, seven days after the games, you can't attack. And this is back when you had to attack on, like, horses and carriages and things and swords. But still, they, they said, okay, look, we need to allow pedestrians and allow athletes and fans to get in and out safely. And we don't need your attacking right now because this is the Olympics. This is supposed to be fun when everyone can kind of, like, escape from the, the perils of day-to-day -day life. And, in fact, this Olympic truce is such a, a nice idea that it was adopted by the United Nations this year and agreed to by all the host countries this year and in the future, as well as North Korea. And I think other countries signed on it as well. So they're, they're saying, look, okay, we're going to obey this truce. We're not going to bomb you guys seven days before or after. And I really hope everyone can hold up their end, just because for the sake of everyone, for the sake of, like, we don't need conflict uh, right now, and just the sanctity of sport, like, sport is a precious space that we all need to preserve. So I hope they obey the Olympic truce, and I hope nothing bad happens uh, in the Olympics, but when it comes, we'll cover it, of course, and I believe that is in early to mid-February in South Korea. So that's your Olympic update for however long we're updating for. Next is are the NFL sexual harassment allegations. Now, these are not uh, of the league, but these are of, of things related to the league, affiliated with the league. Uh, recently, a former NFL Network employee said that multiple personalities at the network sexually harassed her, including former players such as Marshall Falk, Donovan McNabb, and Ike Taylor, all old, famous, retired players. And they have, since that time, been, quote, suspended from their duties at NFL Network, pending an investigation into these allegations, and quote, via an NFL Network statement via Twitter. Now, earlier this week as well, Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon was sued for sexual harassment and sexual battery by a female employee of his. Now, before I get into talking about them, I want to say that we don't know everything about these incidents yet. Like, more could... we? Uh, this is just... These are preliminary reports. Even the Warren Moon stuff was, like, a week ago, but the NFL Network reports are about two days old, I think, two or three days old. So it's not like we know everything about these incidents, and more might come out that changes how we view the accusations or the people that committed these acts. But if assuming these allegations are true, what what does that mean? I guess... It's not really surprising that you see this stuff come out in the sports industry because society has progressed regarding 
treating women like with respect, you know, like having a base level of respect for people. But there's still, and I'm not saying this is true for all sports. I'm not saying this is true for all people. It's, it's fortunately mostly been rooted out of sport. But we still see with these reports that come out all the time, there's still like that, that manly aspect of certain sports. I know this is unrelated, but things like with the concussion issues and then um, Mike Mitchell, the Steelers' safety, being like, look, this is a man's game. Like there's still that manly aspect of sports, especially one where football is, is pretty much male-dominated at the highest level. It is male-dominated at the highest level. So you have that testosterone is flying around everywhere, and it can be it can be a bad environment or dangerous environment sometimes for women, because you you hear hear all those stories about like female reporters uh, getting harassed in locker rooms and things like that, and like people they're getting flashed and stuff. So it, it's it's really disappointing that this still happens, but unfortunately in the industry that sports creates where it's it's so dominated by men. And that that really sets up that environment for sexual harassment where you have men in power and they're willing to do stuff that normally you wouldn't do. Now, fortunately, there's been that this recent Me Too movement on, on Twitter and online where you're, you're hearing more and more women come out about these stories coming out against powerful men. And it's it's no different here because you've got these men that are, like I said, they're, they're going to do anything just because they, they can afford to. They can. And it's not really common that women spoke out before but now with this new movement it might happen more which is good and the goal at the end of this uh, at the end of all of this i think is just to destigmatize sexual harassment or uh, sorry stigmatize sexual harassment more and more and more to the point where it doesn't just it, it shouldn't be a viable option like we shouldn't have to tell people don't harass people but i think if if you get enough people fired and if you get enough people who have their careers take a tumble because they even committed one act of sexual violence or sexual battery or sexual harassment, then it's going to discourage people to the point where no, no one is ever going to do it anymore. And it's and on that note, it's good that the network immediately took action against these players because you're telling you're saying, okay, this for sure, you will get fired if this happens. That's going to continue adding the stigma against sexual harassment. So we're we're becoming a more progressive society day by day. I I hope I hope the progress is more is is more forward than backward. But this is a reminder that this stuff still happens, and it's going to keep happening, but hopefully we can just lower the chances of it happening and know that women can speak out and have their rights uh, against these, these bad people. Okay, now after talking about sexual harassment in the NFL network, let's talk about the NFL itself. Week 14, we're coming down the home stretch, people. Just three more weeks left of football in the regular season. We're going to start out with the Falcons beating the Saints on Thursday night football, the 20, 22-17. This was, a, this was a rough game. This is a tough game. Uh, just lots of hitting and, and not much offense. Neither cute quarterback could really get it going. Like Matt Ryan threw three interceptions, and he really couldn't get in a good rhythm until the end of the game when he led the Falcons to, uh, I think it was 10 points. And Drew Brees had a critical interception to end the game and only was able to put up 17 points. Part of that was due to Alvin Kamara's injury, which we'll talk about in very next. But another part of it is he just couldn't get, get it going against this Falcons defense. It's gotten better. Uh, Al, Alvin Kamara, yeah, he was lost early to a concussion, which really sucks because a lot of New Orleans' offensive threat is, is having to prepare for multiple backs. We've talked plenty of times about their, their multiple back set with Ingram the, the Thunder and Kamara the Lightning. And when you just have to prepare for Mark Ingram, it just becomes like a traditional offense where you just have to protect, uh, just don't let him break out for big runs and protect against a play-action pass. Like, 
it's it's nothing. No, there's no special dynamic to this Saints offense that's gotten to the record to the record that they've been able to get uh, up to before this week. And of course, their team is still talented. They can still make a playoff run without Kamara, but it shows that they're really missing a dimension that sets them apart if they don't have him in there. Now, this is a good win for the Falcons uh, because they had to rely on their defense to keep them in the game. And that's something you need to see from any team that wants to compete deep in the playoffs. And also their big wide receivers, Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu, they were able to get their targets and their catches in against a, a pretty close to top 10 defense. So this, is a, this is not a bad Saints defensive unit. And the Falcons were able to spread the ball around to their big wide receivers and get to them. Uh, with this win, the Falcons are going to stay in the playoff hunt and ho- hope, wonder if they can get in. It's going to be a fun one down the stretch. Uh, they're now one game behind the Saints in the division. They established themselves firmly in the wild card hunt with this win, and it's going to be fun because they have three divisional matchups to end, to end the year, including one at New Orleans and versus Carolina. So those are going to be fun matchups, and I, I we should cover them. I think we'll cover them uh, if I if we can afford to. But yeah, so those will be fun ones. Uh, next is the Eagles beating the Rams 43-35. to This was a, a crazy game that really lived up to the building between two of the top teams in the league in the NFC. There were five lead changes in this game, something you don't see too often in the NFL. And Nick Foles was able to come in after a Carson Wentz injury and led Philadelphia to two field goals to win, game, win the game. Of course, we'll talk about Carson Wentz later, but just in the scheme of the game, this is a pretty fun one. And both defenses made big plays. I mean, the Rams had a block punt for a go-ahead touchdown in the third quarter, and the Eagles had a strip sack of Jared Goff to set up their go-ahead field goal. So this is just a great game all around. Uh, this is a really tough loss for the Rams because they, they couldn't... It, it's because they they were they were decided by one quarter pretty much, like when they gave up three consecutive touchdown drives. I mean, it was close at the end, but when you put yourself in that deep of a hole, it's kind of hard because your defense has to be more aggressive and your quarterback has to be more aggressive and you can't establish the run game as quickly when you're down by a ton. And you don't want to put Jared Goff in, a, in, in this, kind of, this kind of hole consistently if you're a Rams team like that. And they also wasted a big offensive day from Jared Goff and their wide receivers like Cooper Cup and Sammy Watkins. Now, this is, they're going to have a fun matchup uh, next week. They're playing Seattle, and that will be for first place in the division because I think if Seattle wins, they'll have the same record as the Rams but own the tiebreaker because they've already beaten them once. So this next game is for first place in the division, which is going to be a coveted spot. I think you don't want to play a wild card weekend. And both of those teams would have a pretty good record. Now, as far as the Eagles, with this win, they're going to retake the one seed in the NFC. Uh, And also, they're going to play three bad to mediocre teams in the following weeks, which are the Giants, the Raiders, and the Cowboys. They have a good chance of staying in that one seed, riding it, and getting home field advantage. Uh, at least throughout the NFC playoffs, I don't think they'll have a better record than the team that comes out of the AFC, whether that be uh, Pittsburgh or New England, although New England did lose this week. That was a fun one. Um, but the Eagles, though that little bit of optimism is there, there's also a lot of pessimism due to the most recent injury, the Carson Wentz injury. He's out for the year with a torn ACL. Now on the team, Nick Foles is a competent quarterback who can come in and fill his role. I think he did pretty well with the Eagles a few years ago before they drafted Wentz, and he they proved he he proved that he can play in this game and in the past. But he doesn't have the same talent as Wentz, the same raw talent as Wentz, and he hasn't had as much time with the system this year. I know he's been with uh, the t- the team before, but he hasn't had the same experience in this exact system this year. So it's going to be tough for him. 
And people are saying that, oh, the Eagles are going to be fine going into the playoffs, but I personally think it's going to be tough for them to get far in the playoffs with having to replace your quarterback this late in the year. I mean, your, your system's been pretty entrenched, or you're, you're pretty entrenched in your system by this point. So having to install a new quarterback and have that new dynamic is going to be tough for them. I think they're talented enough to make it to maybe the, uh, the second round of the championship game, but I don't know if they're a Super Bowl potentially winning team. And this is also just bad for the league because another young player uh, going down with the season-ending injury, I know this wasn't on a Thursday night, so it's not as uh, the optics aren't as bad. It's just like a regular Sunday. But it was just a regular Sunday, and another player did go down. And Deshaun Watson had a season-ending injury earlier this year, which was uh, bad for the league. And this is also going to hurt your viewership, because in a time when the NFL is clamoring about their ratings and saying their ratings are fine, uh, when you don't have these young stars in, it's tough to attract new viewers. So, interesting NFL week. Uh, If you have any opinions about how I should handle the playoff talking, because, you know, this is kind of like an improving as we go in the grand scheme of things, email thewongtakes.gmail.com or uh, send comments via the website. You know what the deal is. I'll tell you at the end of the show anyway. Okay, last topic, major topic of the day, Major League Baseball signings. Uh, There were some big ones this week, and we're going to start with Shohei Otani, the product of Japan, going to the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, This was a bit of a shocker. He decided to sign with the Angels over six other teams, some of them who have had better records and are more established right now. But the talent the talent of this kid, and you saw in the press conference there were a ton of people coming. There was a ton of press around this signing. I even think the talent, people just don't realize how good this kid is. Like, he was called the Babe Ruth of Japan, quote, the Babe Ruth of Japan, for a reason. Because Babe Ruth uh, was a pitcher-hitter for the Red Sox and Yankees, mostly remembered for the Yankees for many years. And Otani's got the the moxie to fit that mold. Like, his pitching, he throws a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, which is usually reserved for relievers, but he was a starter. And in his last full season in 2016, he had a 1.86 ERA. I don't know where that, where that would place him in the major league, in Major League Baseball, but I think that would be the best ERA if he was able to keep that up. Of course, the talent level is different, um, but, but the stuff is there. And I think his talent is, matches the kind, of, the kind of formula you would see in, in a raw prospect that's like, okay, he can throw hard, he dominated the lower levels, but can he compete at the major league level? But this guy's different because he's had more experience than one of those prospects, say, coming out of high school or coming out of college, where he's been able to play against other people that are paid to play baseball, that play professionally. And so he's, he's like a young kid. He's a young kid. He's only 23 years old, but he has this talent. And then hitting, he hits for real power. Uh, his slash line with his team in Japan, the Nippon Ham Fighters, in 2016, uh, was he had a 322 average, 416 on base percentage, and a 588 slugging percentage, which are just insane numbers. And that gives you an OPS of, like, what, over 1,000, like 1,004, which is something it, it's not unheard of in, in Major League Baseball, but it's really hard to do. And that demonstrates his ability to hit for both power but also for average, and you're going to need both of those in Major League Baseball. You talk about five tool players. Those are the best players in the league. You're going to need to be able to hit for average, and it'd be really nice. It's almost, if you're coming from overseas, you almost need to be able to hit for power and have it all if you're really going to make it in the major leagues. Uh, So he's got both the pitching and the hitting, and I also mentioned he's got the youth. He's only 23 years old, which means that he's not even in the prime of his career. Uh, he's going to have time to the because the prime of your career is usually around 27, 28. For baseball, it can be a little later, like your early 30s. But he's going to have time to develop in the big leagues before he gets to his prime, which is pretty scary 
because when you have a guy with this kind of raw talent that I talked about, and then also you can develop him in a system with major leaguers where he's he's going to be like, uh, say, Yasiel Puig, where he's essentially a major league player by the time he's 27, 28. He'll be a five years removed from his Japan years. So he's going to be a huge talent in this league. Plus, if he succeeds, the Angels are going to have time to build around him because the Angels, they've, they've had this kind of talent before. Like, they have that talent. Mike Trout, uh, when they tried to get Albert Pujols, uh, that didn't pan out too well. But And then like guys like Josh Hamilton, who, of course, had his issues, They've had this talent before, but they've never really been able to build a team around that. And you haven't had the cornerstone, or you've had the cornerstone, but you haven't had the multiple places in your lineup where, where pitchers are going to look like, say, oh, look, I'm scared of that spot. When you can have that secession, that's when you really start to bring, bring put runs on the board. Uh, and the Angels, I think they're still going to need more pieces, speaking of them, to become championship contenders because, because Trout really hasn't been able to lift the Angels into the playoffs, barely lift them into the playoffs. In previous years, and Otani's not going to be one like baseball's a team sport, the ultimate one of the ultimate team sports. You're not going to be able to lift your team to a World Series just by signing him. But once again, I think if you give him time to develop, people are going to see that as a more attractive spot uh, to come play baseball, and that's going to help you a lot in the long run. So that's Shohei Otani. Uh, the next one is Giancarlo Stanton moving to the New York Yankees. Him, not only him, but his 265 million dollar contract. Uh, I think he signed 13 years, 325 with Miami a few years back, and there's 265 left on that deal, and that's getting shipped to the Yankees, who, of course, as always, have one of the biggest payrolls in baseball. Now, this move shows that the Marlins are becoming really incompetent for the moment. Uh, Stanton's gone. They're clearly tanking. They were bad last year. They can't draw any fans. Uh, D. Gordon is out, too, from the organization. I think he went to Seattle. Their farm system isn't very good, and in this deal which was uh, the Marlins had all the leverage having Giancarlo Stanton, and all they got was Starling Castro, who's a respectable player, but he's not a star. And he got they got decent prospects, but nothing that's like going to make you say, oh, look, this guy, like, uh, I don't know, a George Springer type, where you're going to say, okay, in five years, this guy's going to be really, really good. So I think the Yankees, or the Marlins, excuse me, got the short end of the stick on this one, despite having the big power slugger that everyone was looking for. And it's not really a baseball city either, so what are you doing? I, I don't know if you're trying to attract fans, like moving your biggest power hitter is not going to do it. And even though he was clamoring for a trade, you didn't have to trade him. Like, he has a no trade clause, so he stands at a lot of the power. But nonetheless, you were the ones who traded him. However, however, despite all of that, uh, Derek Jeter is the new GM of the Yankees, which is our owner, GM? Uh, he's effectively the GM at this point. But he's going to give you a lot of experience being, of course, a multiple-time World Series champion. And you're going to get a fresh start. Uh, Getting a fresh start also involves apparently trading away your best player and all of your talent. But nonetheless, they have a chance to rebuild, totally rebuild, and become hopefully the Cubs and the Astros of this year where you go from rags to riches real quick in about half a decade. And on the flip side of this trade, the Yankees are now a juggernaut. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton, imagine this lineup. Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez. That's just power upon power upon power. You have arguably the two best power hitters in the league in Stanton Judge and a young catcher in Sanchez that's still on the rise like Otani where he's young and he's going to have time to develop into a Stanton-type player. Uh, they have much of the same team that almost got to the World Series last year. As we talked about, they only had to give up Castro in this deal and a couple of young prospects. So none, none of their uh, t- big talent left them in this offseason so far. 
And their new manager, who's Aaron Boone, he's going to bring a lot of youth to this club where you had a guy like Joe Girardi who had been in the establishment for so long, but now you have a fresh face. He's bringing a new mentality to the ball club, and that could be a negative, but it could also be a big positive. So we're not really sure which way that'll go, but their talent is just so much that it's going to it's hard to see them not getting to the World Series next year at this point. The only downside about Boone is that he's never had any managerial experience, but this team is 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 also an experienced one as well. So I don't think they'll have too many issues on that side of the things. It'll just be Aaron Boone uh, getting used to his new job. Love the money, ESPN. He's I think he's a good fit uh, for the New York Yankees. All right. Uh, uh, with those out of the way, let's get to the quick. T- oh boy. Uh, uh, it's the Ball family again. Lavar Ball says language barrier won't be problem for Leangelo and Lamelo. Oh yeah. So. Uh, the Ball brothers, uh, Lamelo Ball is not in high school or anymore. Uh, Leangelo Ball got pulled out of college, quote unquote, dropped out. But let's be real, he got pulled out of college because Lavar Ball didn't like that he wasn't playing. And now they've both signed with a professional Lithuanian team that has pretty a pretty bad gym and not very good conditions, like as far as getting fans and money, and they might have to play for free. It's just a bad situation all around. Now LeVar Ball is saying, no, language is going to be fine, and I think language is the least of their issues at this point. Because what's your path to the NBA? You play for a few years, you're pretty good, and now let's say you move on to somewhere like Fenerbahce or Real Madrid Basketball Club. Uh, you're going to have to develop a few years there, and then what about your prospects beyond basketball? What are you going to, what are you going to do then Like if you don't actually get an education? Uh, they, you can just make your life being a socialite, but I don't know if that's what they want to do. I, and Leangelo, I think you have to let the NBA dream go. You can only develop for so much. I mean, if you're, if you're a big NBA talent, you're going to show that talent pretty early on. I don't know how much of a late bloomer he is. And then Lamelo, uh, he's good as a basketball player. I hope he can turn out well as a man, just he hasn't been really set up to succeed on that front. Uh, he hasn't really had much adversity. And when he struggles, he or his father forces him to quit. At least that's how it appears with the basketball team. I don't know if that's how he is uh, elsewhere. Sorry, I'm trashing on them so much. But it's just that they're different, and I don't know if they're going to get much playing time or, or be able to properly develop their skills in Lithuania. I think they would just better have been better with the college route. But if you're making money, you can't play in college. So it's just kind of a mess there. I guess only time will tell what's going to happen with the Ball brothers. Uh, Lonzo, I enjoy his game. He's been doing uh, decently, not shooting very well, but otherwise fine. So, yeah, the Ball brothers. Good job, everyone. And that's the show. That was an interesting quick take. Uh, I said some things, but that's okay. That's what those are for. That's what it's supposed to be, right? Uh, anyway, check out the podcast, the website, bit.ly slash takes. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash takes. Email thewongtakes at gmail.com. Send questions on the Patreon patron feed or to our email, which also you can do via the website. You know the gist now. Uh, rate the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week.